Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a pivot or change in life. I call these changes redirections, and at some point or another, we all go through them, including myself. I went from studying civil engineering in undergraduate to playing NFL football to ultimately creating digital content full time. And so I wanted to sit down with other people who have made it through these transitions and made it through them well to glean wisdom, but also to hear some pretty good stories. And so today we sit down with Rushi Roy, who is a part of our Forbes 30 Under 30 series. And she's an amazing story. So she's a first generation Indian American and tells us her journey from really being an overachiever and getting the dream job per se of being an investment banker and how she walked away from that to co-found a skincare company called Avrani. A-A-V-R-A-N-I. I'll link the website down below. But uh, just like herself, Avrani has its roots in Indian culture and traditions, and they make some amazing products with ingredients like turmeric and almond oil. So Rushi tells us how she made this transition from investment banking to co-founding a skincare company and the things that she learned along the way. So if you want to find out more about Rushi, as well as about Avrani. I'll link that in the show notes. And before we jump into it, if you haven't subscribed to the show or given it a rating, please do so on whatever platform you're listening on. Let's go ahead and jump into this one with Rushi Roy. Rushi, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with me this morning. Thank you for having me, Andrew. This is such a privilege. Uh, a couple things first. I feel like I need to start off by congratulating you. I guess you just got married two months ago, three months ago. Is that I right? Did. I did. Thank you so much. Nice. It was uh, it, it, it was a volatile uh, process to get there with all the uncertainty, but it turned out better than I could have imagined. So thank you. That's amazing. Did you get married in Michigan or? Uh, yeah. I got married in uh, my husband's house in Virginia. So my oh, parents beautiful. drove over from Detroit. His parents were there and it was very intimate, um, but lovely. Awesome. So, yeah. The other thing is I saw you went to IU. And I did. I'm from Indianapolis and I grew up going to Lake Lemon, which is not too far from uh, IU's campus. So I, I love meeting Hoosiers. Go Hoosiers. Yes. No, that's, that's right. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, um, when did you leave Indianapolis? So I came to school at Vanderbilt in 2010. Okay. Um, I went to, you're probably familiar with like Carmel High School. Yes, a lot of area. Uh, girls in my sorority were from Carmel. Yeah. I did not go to Carmel. I went to the rival school. Uh, where, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not as good as sports or anything like that, but yeah. Anyway, that's a that's a personal note. But I would love to hear you have such a unique upbringing. I'd love to hear kind of your foundation. Um, if you could kind of give us the 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 potted a bridge version of where you grew up, maybe what your parents did, and how you got interested in what you're doing now. Sure. So uh, my parents are immigrants from Kolkata, India, and they moved to Detroit in the late '80s and Detroit because my dad was an automotive engineer. He just retired actually, um, but they're still there and we're in our family home. And I went to Indiana, as you mentioned. Uh, but then since I graduated, I have been in New York, lived in the East Coast, I pursued finance. And I always wanted to have my own company and, and build a business, but never quite found exactly what I felt very passionate about or or what the actual sort of premise of the business would be. So pursuing finance was kind of my way of doing something relevant in the meantime, while I could figure out what it is I wanted to do. So 
while I started in investment banking and then through my time in uh, private equity, I started feeling increasingly unfulfilled uh, mm. by the work and what I was doing every day and decided to pursue business school as a way to step back, figure out you know, what I care about, what I'm passionate about, et cetera. Um, and at the time it was you know, the most risk averse thing I could do. Um, I didn't have the guts to really stop working altogether um, but I did feel like, okay, if people are going to business school and sort of redirecting their career tracks and their lives, maybe I can do that myself. Uh, and so when I started at Wharton in summer of 2017, uh, as luck would have it, I met my co-founder, uh, Justin Silver. He is, he also worked in finance before me, but he was telling me about his prior experience uh, serving as an operating partner on another skincare brand. Mm. Uh, it was called Tatcha. It's still called Tatcha. It's a beautiful company that brings Japanese rituals in a prestige format to the U.S. And as he was telling me that story, you know, two HBS grads just bringing these rituals like green tea, black charcoal, rice bran oil. All I could think about were all the customs and traditions that are so sacred to the Indian culture, well beyond skincare. I mean, it's part of our ceremonies, our religious you know, rituals, et cetera. Uh, and I started telling him about one of the iconic formulas, which is the turmeric mask. I mean, we mm -hmm. make them um, as a way to not only have our skin glow, but it's a very communal thing. We, we do it with the women of the household. I grew up with my grandmother teaching me how to do it. My mom doing it for me before special occasions back in Michigan. Um, and and Justin was like, so you can't buy this at the store. And I was like, mm. no, you can. He's like, why is that? And it, it sparked a conversation that um, really just served as the foundation for what Avrani is. We were both kind of going back and forth talking about how we both wanted to start our own companies one day. And this almost felt like one of those opportunities where everything kind of set into place now. Like I have a potential partner to do this with, I have the free time, I have the inherent knowledge of, of how to make these rituals and what they mean. And at that point I realized, you know, if I don't pursue this, I'm just, you know, I don't believe in myself. I'm not betting mm. my, on myself right now. Uh, and so it only took a couple weeks of, you know, back and forth. We were up till two, three, four a.m. sending market research reports, name ideas, product ideas, and I just realized I'd never been so excited or passionate about anything in my life. And wow. so that first year of business school, we dove in right away. We transferred our our savings that we were going to spend on tuition into a joint business account, uh, got out student loans, and. And just started with enlisting a team of R&D chemists to help me translate those formulas that I know and love growing up at home into that shelf-stable format so people can purchase them and we can really scale these rituals. Um, that summer between business school, so this is two years ago, June of 2018, we self-launched Avrani.com. We had four products uh, that I'd created as part of a ritual, a very simple routine uh, infused with Indian ingredients like turmeric, sweet almond oil, and neem. And Justin and I told each other, we're like, if this doesn't go well, or you know, if, if it doesn't resonate, we can come back to second year and just recruit for a normal job like everyone else. But we've got to try this. And so that summer came and once again, just sort of reinforced uh, the excitement and energy brought out of both of us 
Uh, and on top of that, the, the sort of response exceeded our expectations. We, mm. we had so, so many, especially South Asian women who had felt like, you know, finally I'm being seen, I'm being celebrated, I'm being represented. And that element alone was something that I myself didn't quite appreciate until mm. the following year. So fast forward another year from there, uh, Justin, I graduated from Wharton last May in 2019 moved back to New York, we're in this office space, we, we hired a couple people full time. And I'm telling my my first full time hire, you know, all the background of the company so she could do her job. And she's asking me, she's like, so why'd you start this? And suddenly I was, I, I was silent, I, I, I was kind of caught off guard, I realized that I was almost on autopilot a little bit. Mm. Uh, we were amidst fundraising and you know, we were having a lot of the same conversations over and over again. So it almost started flowing out of me why I started this brand uh, without personally really revisiting it mm -hmm. to myself. And so here I am sitting across from our full-time hire. We, she has, you know, over 10 years of beauty experience. She knows what to do. I just have to equip her with the right tools and I can't even do that. And so that was really the the first sort of inflection point of the brand where I realized that I myself didn't feel like what I had created was an authentic interpretation of me. And if we were going to do this in the right way, we needed to step back and rebrand the whole thing. Uh, yeah. And so that's what you're seeing today. Here's a little snippet of, of what the oh. brand kind of looked like. Very different. Come on, that's beautiful. Let's oh, go. You, but you're, you're being a little too generous. I mean, this is pretty hideous, this color right here. Rushi, <laughs> the, go the gold foil logo it's amazing well done i appreciate that i i think i was or well i know i was trying to infuse what people kind of expected out of indian culture or what people knew of it and that's earthy tones gold embellishments mm. kind of detail oriented think taj mahal pile of spices henna designs and that's just not me and i realized mm. that having grown up you know being indian american kind of made me feel like I had one foot in each culture, but I never quite honored, you know, the oneness of my lived experience and yeah. how how that itself is something special and something to be celebrated. I, I kind of felt like I was toggling between two things. So the new Avrani that you see is is the truest interpretation of myself, which is a oneness of Indian American sort of viewpoint that I have where it's honoring our traditions and our roots and through the ingredients and the rituals that we stay authentic to, but it's also challenging expectations around what that looks like, sounds like, and feels like. Wow. So there's a lot that I'm excited to unpack, uh, kind of built within what you just said. First of all, it's so interesting. So you graduate from college and you go pursue finance, you get into private equity, equity, which is kind of I mean, that's kind of a lot of people's goals is to reach that I, point. I, and I, I love that you said that because that's exactly the kind of guilt that was festering inside of me for years. So when I when I was at Goldman, for example, suddenly my parents were bragging about me to their friends. I was getting mm -hmm. attention from from people who just, you know, didn't think I was that great or that smart before, because as a kid, I, you know, I. I wasn't a kid getting straight A's or doing the right things. I was all over the place. I was very rebellious. Um, I mean, 
to my parents' credit, I was a lot to deal with. And so now here I am in this sort of, you know, ostensibly successful career. And I felt like, well, if I'm not happy, this is my fault. Like, what am I doing wrong? I need to get happy because so many people would, yeah. you know, love to be in the position that I am. Who am I to, to not want it? And so that's why it took me uh, like six years to realize that I needed to, you know, honor my own interpretation of what success or happiness means, not what other people, you know, want from me or, or think about it. Preach, Rushi. Uh, I... I'm curious, it's it's worth asking, although maybe cliche, but you said you didn't feel fulfilled. What was it about about that work that wasn't satisfactory to you? I didn't feel like I was making a unique impact. I felt very replaceable. It's not that the work itself was fundamentally bad or or unfulfilling like a lot of people feel fulfilled by that and actually during my time at Warburg I I got exposed to and inspired by a lot of entrepreneurs because Warburg started investing earlier in an earlier stage and so it did excite me but it felt like anybody who wants this and is like a, has a certain you know has a certain interest can replace me this isn't my niche or my thing that I'm bringing to the world and if it's not, then I need to figure out what that is. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think you actually just voiced what I've felt in my experience playing in the NFL, two completely different industries. But um, I've, I, was, I found myself standing on the football field and here I am, like it's the top of the football food chain, right? And I couldn't get the thought out of my head of, I. I'm not like reaching my potential by being here. Like there's, I'm, I'm wasting my time to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. And so yes. people ask me, do I miss playing football? And you know, it's like, yes, it was, it was such a great experience. And I learned so much as I'm sure you did uh, mm -hmm. in your time in finance, but I feel like the pursuit of what I'm on now is, is so much more exciting and adventurous and, and educational to me personally, just because I feel like I'm inching closer to my potential anyway. Um, no, that's amazing. And, and, and the NFL is, I mean, just frankly, a lot more uh, special and um, niche of talent, right? So, uh, I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people working in finance and only so many NFL players. So I can imagine how much even more challenging that might have been, that conflict of, you know, is this it? Can I do more? Like, Yeah. Um I have a hard time believing you didn't get good grades. I went to business school. <laughs> Somehow I got into Vandy, uh, Vandy's business school, Owen. You went to Wharton, which is like, you know, next tier, well, I feel that like. That was after I got my life together. I mean, I have to tell you, my, my first <laughs> semester at Indiana, I got a 1.9 GPA. Really? So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we had similar freshman semesters, maybe then. I mean, I, I was just like, "What's the point of this? I don't care about anything." What am I? And then I come home that Christmas, and my dad's like, "Look, you either get this together, or I'm not paying for school anymore. Like, yeah. you need to figure it out." And I had spent so long just being pretty free spirited and into my own thing, and kind of like, "Screw anyone else who doesn't believe in what I'm doing." And then that kind of wake-up call in that first year of Indiana was like, okay, you have to get your life together. You're going to have to, you know, pay for yourself, figure out your own career. And that's when I got attached to this idea of finance because Indiana had such an amazing program for mm -hmm. 
investment bankers. And so once I got into that program junior year, it was like, you know, I got straight A's. It was like a very tunnel vision thing. And I kind of compromised my own spirit along the way. Yeah. I'm curious while you were at business school, first of all, I loved my time in business school way more than I did undergrad. I just felt like the ambition and people's dreams were, I don't know, maybe more tangible or like people were more passionate about pursuing them. Um, but I did feel like, even though there, there was a bunch of entrepreneurs in my class there, there, I was re-entered into the, the treadmill of like, yes. Oh, well you're going to graduate and you got to go work at Deloitte and you're going to do that for a couple of years. And then this, you know, I'm like, did you get caught up in that at all? Percent. Well, to, to be honest with you, I actually, I think that having that around me at Wharton kind of reinforced the mm. idea that I didn't want to go back there. I got there and I realized, Oh, suddenly everyone's in suit and tie going to these recruiting events, info sessions, like, we just left that. What? Like, I need to explore what I want. And and seeing kind of the people around me, Wharton has a huge class, nearly a thousand people. Um, seeing that around at campus all the time, almost mm-hmm. to myself and Justin, was this reinforcement of we've got to keep doing our own thing. These people are literally trying to break into what we left behind. If we don't do our own thing, then we're going to regret mm-hmm. it forever. Wow. that's That's amazing. I found that I am kind of a uh i get i buy into like the group uh mentality not 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 socially but like professionally if someone's like i'm gonna go i want to work at deloitte then i'm like oh well i want to work at deloitte and then like you know do that too and and (laughs) i don't know it's weird how i adopt and then you 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 don't think like wait do i even what is deloitte do i even want to work there is that something i actually want or is it because someone else wants it that it's appealing yeah it's so interesting how that works so uh, Avrani sells, if it's not currently the only, it was originally the first turmeric, um, face. Yes. So mask. it's still, it's the only turmeric mask on the market that is wow. ready to use and doesn't stain the skin. So the staining from the, the turmeric pigment is a big pain point, mm-hmm. uh, in Indian culture. And for myself growing up, we've kind of adapted around it so that, you know, if it's your wedding day, you do the mask the morning, bef- the day before, so that that yellow stain is faded by then. Mm. Uh, so I'm really proud of having that trade secret on this product because it it honors that, you know, iconic um, formula, but is updated a little bit to fit the modern lifestyle. Yeah. How much fun did you have doing the formulations for these products? A lot, a lot of fun. So we yeah. iterated on these samples nearly 16 times, each of the four products we had, and we're constantly getting feedback from women of all ages and ethnicities, and then integrating that feedback back to the chemists. Uh, one of the biggest learnings I had was, you know, not everyone is going to love everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, as an entrepreneur, need to <sighs> learn when to get comfortable or when it's when it's enough. So for, I mean, and you can take that at any element of the business because people can give you feedback for days. Uh, but the point is if you're waiting around to have something that everyone always agrees with or already agrees with, then, then you've already lost. You're a little bit too late because mm. you're not disrupting anything. You're not really bringing something new. Um, people kind of know what they want, but they, they don't know what they want really until they're touching and feeling and holding mm-hmm. things. 
Yeah. Can you explain to me in layman's terms what Ayurvedic uh, means? Yeah, th- sorry. Sure, sure. So, I mean, Ayurveda as, as a principle at the highest level is a belief that everything is connected. So when it comes to our personal care, like if our hair is thinning or our, our face is breaking out, in the US or in the West, we tend to be very specific and targeted and say, okay, we'll give you a, a hair shampoo or a blemish cream. When Ayurveda suggests, okay, maybe there are targeted issues, but what else is going on? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you talking to yourself? Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things missing in beauty today as we see it in the large incumbents or even how I've been raised on beauty in American culture. Uh, it's very like quick fix, instant gratification, mm-hmm. uh, kind of temporary, where Ayurveda suggests beauty is wellness and beauty is just one part of the overall wellness conversation. And that's really what I'm trying to bring through Avrani. It's not the like idea of all the Ayurvedic principles to the doshas and the specificities, but just that highest level of intention that mm. is when you approach things, it's always all connected. Yeah. I have gained such an appreciation. I obviously still don't know how to say the word uh, for that mindset. Uh, we've befriended Josh Ack, Dr. Josh Axe, who has an ancient nutrition like supplement line. And he's kind of, taught me so much about that world. Whereas I grew up very Western mentality, you know, of, of mm-hmm. that acute diagnosis. Um, I would love for you to talk about the name of Ronnie. I, I know it means, I think Vrani means queen. Ronnie and, does, yes. Yeah. Uh, and you talk about the stigma associated with beauty in the Indian culture. Uh, I would love to hear more about that. Sure. So the name of Ronnie, um, that was, Justin and I came up with that together. I knew that I wanted the word Rani in there as mm. a way to honor our roots once again, so that Indian women will always know where it's coming from and what the original inspiration is, regardless of you know how big or global we get. Uh, and one of Justin's initial insights was through his work in reviewing companies' investment memos. I mean, even if you look at the NASDAQ ticker symbol list. It's always an alpha order. Uh, And so he suggested being at the top half of the alphabet is better for getting more Mm. exposure, attention, time, right? You just never know when these things click. And so we decided to start with an A. And then I did the double A because Indian languages and Bangla, which I grew up speaking, um, when translated to English alphabet, often have the double A sound and the double A the, the two A's. Yeah. So we yeah. had the two A's, Ronnie, and then went down the list of 26 letters and both loved V the most. And oh, that's what nice. came up with the Ronnie. Wow. The thought that went behind all that was yes. genius. <laughs> Thank <laughs> um, you. So every little thing had about this much thought into it. Um, you'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. How much, how much resistance have you met? Um, you know, you, your, your recent rebranding, you talk about you didn't feel like it was authentic to you. And again, kind of getting wrapped up in just like in business school or coming out of, of undergrad, like you kind of get wrapped up in, oh, well, we should do this. If we want to sell this amount or reach this goal, then we got to compromise on this. How, how are you able to constantly readjust your mindset to 
to calibrate closer to authentic like do you have any practices like that to to keep you true to yourself for lack of a better term because it seems oh, like you've wow. done it multiple times. I wish I times. did now that you're asking me that because yeah. that would be a great hack um, if I could have like certain questions to ask myself. But yeah. to to be honest with you, it was really having that first experience of the brand and kind of seeing how that ended up that gave me that conviction in my own sort mm -hmm. of intuition. So as an example, when last summer I, I decided I wanted to go with this hyper blue grounding color for the brand, uh, we got a lot of pushback from existing investors, advisors, et cetera, saying, you know, really blue for a, for a women's beauty brand. Like it just, it mm. didn't, it wasn't intuitive to them. But as I felt increasingly strong about the fact that it should be blue simply because it's my favorite color and hyper blue. Me too. Is, really? <laughs> yeah. I see that little uh, bit of your hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this specific shade of blue really honors my sort of relationship with Indian culture today, where it gives me that sense of calm and belonging, but also uh, excitement and this idea of possibility. Um, and because it meant so much to me, I felt like, well, it doesn't really ma matter what the market says or what other brands are blue. Uh, if I believe in it, then that should be enough. And lo and behold, uh, as it turned out and as we launched, people are loving the blue. I mean, some people are not, but for me personally, I am, I would rather have someone love it or hate it. The, the worst insult to me is feeling nothing. The apathy is what I'm trying to avoid, right? And if we're going to try to make this personal connection and come out with a bang, then I'd rather have someone feel something. And so I'm redirected to that mindset uh, as I build out the brand and really at every turn. So I was reading an article about you and it was revealing in several senses. You say uh, the most rewarding part about your job are the reviews. I would love to hear, is there one review or one story that sticks out in your mind as like just really encouraging to you and what you do? I, I mean, I wish I could say just one, <laughs> but like really the, the very first review I got from my mom on the first on the first final product of the exfoliator. And as I told you, we'd gone through several iterations. The exfoliator took the most. So 16 rounds of samples. And my mom's my harshest critic when it comes to this because she knows this stuff even better than I do. She's the one who taught me. And you know, when she opened that that final sample, she, her, her eyes started watering. Mm. She was crying and she was like, this feels like home. And I was like, okay, that's it. This is done. Wow. I don't have to ask anyone else. And getting that feedback through reviews of other South Asian women uh, who are saying things around that theme of it feeling like home, it feeling like them, like it honoring their identity, those those touch me the deepest because that's exactly what I'm trying to do with brand. Wow. Another thing I came across is you say that your balance is your superpower. What do you mean by that? Wow, you really did your research. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I yeah. So what I meant by that was actually to to your point that you had asked me earlier. How do I stay in the balanced mindset? Because as a CEO, I'm of course looking at the numbers, right? Like there are certain sales targets, there's a certain conversion rate, bounce rate. Like I could I can get lost in Shopify analytics. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're solving for those things, you you don't get them right. The actual intention is lost, and then people can sniff inauthenticity a mile away. That's how I ran the business at first before we rebranded of looking at sales goals of 
of increasing number of customers in certain geographic areas. And the balance there is, yes, I do need to think about those things. And of course, it's important to meet certain, you know, tactical benchmarks. But am I staying authentic to myself? Is this me? Is every touch point of the customer experience something I'm proud of and something I'd be so happy for them to associate with me? And that's a balance that's like constantly toggling in my mind because at any given point, I could be investing a lot in the creativity of the brand and that is a crapshoot of whether or not that's going to make me money. Uh, But it's something I have to think about all the time because without that, there is no such thing as longevity and, and, you know, business scale in the long term. Yeah. Has your recent marriage uh, been a, a, a challenge to you finding balance? I, I, I am constantly struck with like the, oh, I want to grow a business this big, but at what cost to, you know, other things in my life? Have you, have know, you experienced I, any of that? I actually, I got very, very lucky. My, I met my husband in business school and oh, nice. he was in where he was in, in his life and his career trajectory. He uh, was looking for a more formalized you know, organization with training. And so he's a consultant now. And I remember in the first year when we met, he was like, you know, with our partnership, there's going to be give and take. um, But one of us at any given time should always be pursuing our highest dream. And if right now he's going in the world of consulting and it has more of a, you know, routine around that, he gets fulfilled by the fact that that's supporting my dream. And then you know, as, as time moves on, we're go- that role is going to shift. Uh, but it, it gives me a lot of confidence because he really, really does believe in me. Wow. What a great way to approach that. Uh, thank you for the wisdom there. So yeah. I'm looking at your website now. Uh, you guys have a exfoliator, you have a uh, restoring serum, uh, eye elixir, and, uh, there's so many wonderful products products. I think you mentioned you started with four. I'm curious. Go ahead. There's still four products here. So what I did was I took the simplest version of a skincare routine that U.S. consumers are already used to and minimized it. Um, I started to see skincare regimens that are going upwards of 15, 20 steps, which Mm -hmm. just felt a little silly. And I wanted (laughs) to keep it as simple as possible. So a cleanser, toner, moisturizer, and eye cream. And so using that sort of framework, I infused the Indian active ingredients to bring those products to life. And wow. so that's what you see here. We have a huge pipeline of R&D, uh, huge pipeline of R&D products right now. And we are actually looking to raise our next round, our seed round, so that we can really grow and scale this thing. At this point, we've kind of proven that product market fit and the way that the new brand has resonated with consumers has exceeded anything we could have ever anticipated. So our goal now is to take the brand to the next level, supplement the team, get some, you know, scaled operations in place so that mm-hmm. we can, you know, take this further. That's amazing. I'm cu- I'm curious what your, what your goals are both within Avrani and, and potentially beyond. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear about so- that. I mean, I, I sort of reoriented my goal as part of the rebrand uh, because I realized it's not just about Avrani. It's it's about this idea of Indian-inspired beauty or eye beauty, as we're calling it. So mm. in the last five to 10 years, we've seen the proliferation of K-beauty or Korean-inspired beauty, uh, J-beauty, which is the Japanese beauty brand that Justin had experience with. 
And eye beauty is the next, you know, big category. It fits neatly in these trends of clean wellness products and people just don't really know about it yet. And so in order to disrupt the industry with a brand new category, it can't just be one brand. We've got to have 50, 75 big brands out there making noise, causing conversations globally in order to be considered our own category. And so my broader vision is to make iBeauty a awesome. category in and of itself and really help and support other other founders and other people who are trying to bring it to the forefront, whether that's through skin, makeup, hair, what have you. That's powerful. I did. I, I came across, uh, Ronnie did, I don't know the correct way to phrase it. Is it uh, like crowdfunded investing on republic.com? How how was your experience with that? It was wonderful. I mean, I think I think one of the challenges that we've been or we had been facing was just access to capital. Um, a lot of times people say that, you know, friends and family, then angels, then VC route. It became almost like a, a formula that as we stepped back and looked at our business and the trajectory of the business. Uh, it just didn't make sense to go through that VC route. We're not that sort of tech play, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I want to build this business towards a path of profitability versus yeah. just a hyper growth model, because that's just yeah. not aligned with what we're trying to do. And so Republic was a great opportunity for us to get access to investors who also believe in us uh, at range uh, at scales that don't have to be at that you know 50k 100k check you can put in you know what you have as long as you you know believe in what we're doing and so that's really what republic yeah. offered us and it was just so invaluable especially wow. just to see you know all over how many people really did believe in us putting in comments asking us questions it was really refreshing as as a first time entrepreneur wow all right rushi so you clearly have some fantastic wisdom and you've kind of experienced a wide range of different things, especially when it comes to your career. I'm curious when you look back on what's gotten you to where you are today, if you could reflect on three different pieces of advice that maybe someone else has shared with you or you've learned through personal experience that you found valuable, um, what, what those three pieces of advice would be. Yeah, so I guess the first the first piece of advice that I mean I'm still trying to remind myself of every day is to stay true to myself. And I think that it's almost so simple that it it's easy to brush it away or ignore it, but if you really internalize that for a moment and think about what are what you are contributing as a reflection of who you are, um, it always sort of gets you to react right either it is aligned with you or it's not and that should be the very first question that you ask yourself in anything that you do i think we also get caught up in the whole what is everyone else doing a lot and in the idea of what does everyone else measure as success um asking yourself constantly what is my interpretation of that is this right for me um that's been my saving grace this year hmm. Um, another another piece of advice, and this is, I guess, a, more of a quote, but I, I've internalized this pretty deeply this year. Uh, it's from a rabbi. It's, uh, let me fall if I must fall. The one who I will become will catch me. And the idea of that is, 
realizing that, you know, you, you figured it out before you're a strong person, you've navigated, you know, uncertainty, ambiguity before, yet sometimes that looms as something that is something to be afraid of. Right. And mm -hmm. despite the challenges that I've navigated, I still get caught in that idea of, Oh, what's going to happen if I make a mistake? And it's like, just relax. You figured it out before you're going to do it again. Um, okay. And so I have one more to share, I yeah. guess. I guess this is a this is a especially recent one, and my my co-founder Justin reminds me of this all the time. Is that you can do a lot by yourself, but your vision isn't big enough if you could do it all yourself. You mm -hmm. need a team and a group of people to support you to get to where you want to go. Um, growing up, and as I said, I, I was a pretty rebellious kid and pretty individualistic in the sense that. We, I didn't believe that we're all connected and, and these sorts of things matter or affect each other. But as I'm building and growing my team, I'm realizing just how much I need support. I need a day off every now and then. I need somebody to tell me what to do because you know, I'm not the expert in every category. And that was uh, an exercise of suppressing the ego a little bit, but then also being a lot more open to other ideas and perspectives that I wouldn't have entertained before. Wow. Rushi, love your approach. Love what you built. Uh, if you listening, want to check out Avrani, we will link that down below. They make some wonderful products. Might have to gift some to my wife. I, I know. I've got to get you some. <laughs> I, please send me your address. I'd love to share some with you. And your I wife. will. And if there's ever anything we could do to help you, Rushi, we'd love to. So we'll connect uh, after this, but it was a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you for the opportunity.